Welcome to the Position Neutrality meeting and welcome to New Freedom. How are y'all? Anybody here for the very first time tonight? A few of you? Very well. Good. So first of all, welcome. And we're going to warn you in advance that you're liable to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. primary reason that's liable to happen is that we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years now. We take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book. And we use this book in 12-step recovery. Why? The process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work with addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. So what I do here is, is show you how I find my experience in the book. It may look like I'm telling you what it says, but that's not what I'm trying to do because it's none of my business what it says to you. But what I will show you is how I find what it says to me and encourage you to have your own experience. And if we both do our job, we will share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. Fair enough? How many of you have been here before and can witness for these folks that happened? So for those of you online, there's a lot of people who are raising their hand, but of course we can't show you because the anonymous nature of our fellowship. <laughs> They're here, believe me. And um, tonight I guarantee you we're going to share the spirit. You're going to have to try not to experience it because we're going to have our encounter tonight. We're going to be in step two. All right? So... Without uh, wasting any more of anyone's time, let's go in our books, if you're ready, to chapter 4. It's a little chapter entitled, We Agnostics. So, some subset of we. Who's, who's we in this book? The first 100 and their experience with the first several thousand, but the, the storytellers are the first 100. So when they say we, it's either the first 100 or some subset of the first 100. Right? We know that. It's not necessarily us, because we, we're not we. They're we. Okay, so it says, in the preceding chapters, we're on page 44, in the preceding chapters, you've learned something of alcoholism. So how many of you followed along last week, or have you read this book, and in the chapters 1 through 3, you learned something of alcoholism? How many of you learned something of alcoholism before you ever saw this book? How many of you were able to make sense of some of the experiences you had that you could not make sense of once you read the book and found that you weren't alone? Okay, so that's kind of the point. Did any of you get to feeling like you were really alone? Okay, so it says, we hope we've made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. Have they made that clear? Okay, it says, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely... Have any of you had that experience? Stop and stay stopped. Right? Quit entirely. Yeah. Some of us quit every day for years, right? But quit entirely. Or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take. How many of you had that experience? So some of us recognize a gradual loss of control, and some of us really don't see that so much as we we see our total inability to stop and stay stopped, yeah? Okay, well, if either of those be the case, if that be the case, you may be suffering, or, if, or you're probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you're probably suffering, or you, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. How many of you want to know why they deduced that? 
Because in the chapter, we agnostics, there's an assumption that when we tell them that you're going to have to have a spiritual experience, some of us think we know what that means, and we pull away. Right? Okay, so they're going to tell us a little bit about their demographics, because we want everyone to feel comfortable with where you are and where we're going to take you based on their experience, okay? So it says, to one who feels he's an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. So see how they worded that? Does that, those of you that may have felt you were atheist or agnostic or a little fuzzy in your beliefs and experience, a spiritual experience to overcome alcoholism may seem like a bit of a stretch, huh? How many of you are of the class you don't even think it's necessary? Some of us get here, I'm just going to not pick up no matter what, right? I mean, I've heard that mantra for years. I don't know how it works. I pick up no matter what. <laughs> I can show you that picture. Um, but to continue as he is means disaster. How many of you concluded at least that much? So they're going to talk to us about an alternative, especially if he's an alcoholic of the hopeless variety, to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. They're not, are they? But why not? Happy, joyous, and free, alcoholic death. Pick one. Can I get back to you? Right? So, anyway, um, there's another book that talks about a scene at a well, and a healer walks up to a guy who'd been laying by the well for years, and he says, do you want to get well? <laughs> We're not doing anything different here. Okay. But it isn't so difficult. About half our original fellowship were of exactly that type. What type? Atheist or agnostic, declared, half. The first 100, half of them either believed God did not exist or God could not be proven to exist. So now we know something of the demographics. The rest of them had to be what? Believers that were a little soft on, I believe in healings, just not for me. Any of you? Okay. All right, so at first some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope we were not true alcoholics. Any of you in that class? I'm not that bad yet. How many of you had several stages of I'm not that bad yet? <laughs> Got harder and harder to find anyone to compare with after a while, didn't you? <laughs> okay. So af after a while we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. That's what they had to do. How many of you have come to that conclusion? How many of you are not quite sure what it looks like? Okay, good. Perhaps it's going to be that way with you. But cheer up. Something like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostics. Our experience shows that you need not be disconcerted. They gave you a really hopeful phrase there. They separated their thoughts from their experience. So although they did not believe or they did not believe God could be proven to exist, their experience changed their mind. They do not remain atheists or agnostics here, no matter how many times you hear that nonsense in fellowship. They came to believe in power. And that power flowed through them to, 
move into the manner of living. But they didn't come to believe based on a concept or a theory, they came to believe on an experience which changed their mind. Does that make sense? Okay. So if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. How many of you have changed your morals and philosophies? How many have discovered you lack the power to carry those out? So that's all they're saying. Okay. But we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us no matter how much we tried. We could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. So I'm, I've made an admission of powerlessness. The only solution, reasonable solution to an experience, a condition of powerlessness, is power. Not theology, power. Right? Okay. And then they talked to me about the problem they were trying to solve. They had a problem of wishing to be moral, but unable to do so. They had a problem of wishing to be philosophically comforted, but receiving no such comfort. How many of you had disturbing thoughts? How many of you have started to have this experience that we call God around here, and found that that power can calm your thoughts? You can get philosophically comforted when you're centered. So this is power to philosophically comfort me. It has nothing to do with whether I pick up or not. Not picking up is a byproduct of not being so desperately discomforted or disquieted. Does it make sense? Okay. So our human resources as marshaled by the will were not sufficient. They failed utterly. How many of you had that kind of gradual? Did you have the not sufficient for a while and then it failed utterly, or was it? Okay. Lack of power, that was our dilemma. So you understand the word dilemma? It's being a, a, a set of alternatives, neither one of which are attractive. That's a dilemma. I'm not too excited about spiritual life. I have no idea what that looks like. And I'm not winning this battle with alcohol, drugs, whatever. Yeah? So I kind of know what that looks like, but I don't know when it ends. And I have no idea what that looks like, and I don't know how that starts. Okay. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. They put that in italics for us to consider. This isn't a power to not do or to do. This is a power to live. How many of you declared you wanted to live but had a a habit that looked like you didn't want to live. So within you, there is a power that wants you dead, and there is a power that wants to live. And it's all dependent on what you feed. Right? So we want, while you're sitting in here tonight, we want to talk to that part in you that wants to live, and that one wants to die, and you need to sit over there. Okay? Okay. Obviously, but where and how are we to find this power? So I kind of blew the story because I told you where you're going to find it, but let's see where they found it. Go to page 55 because you never want to leave a group of addicts waiting. <laughs> they take apart the furniture, all kinds of weird shit. Okay. So page 55, second paragraph. Actually, we were fooling ourselves. Who's we? The first 100. They had been fooling themselves. Let's see what they discovered. 
For deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. So you don't have to believe in anything because they're not talking about your idea of God. They said the fundamental idea of God was within you. Where do your ideas come from? Your ideas come from here, where the main problem centers, correct? So this is not my idea of God, this is God's idea of me. Nothing was ever created without a purpose for which it was created. How many of you have lived a life that felt like it lacked purpose? How many of you have started in this manner of living and found out that even what you thought was waste has purpose in it? So God had a little idea of salvation in you, and now he's going to give you the power to carry that out. Right? Okay. So, um, it may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other it's there. So I'm going to encounter this power, and then I'm going to make a decision to do a searching and fearless moral inventory of me, and I'm going to get armed with the facts about myself. I'm going to find out what those calamities, pomps, and worships are that are obscuring my consciousness of this power so that I can operate informed more of the time. Does that make sense? Okay. So it says, sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. So now it's starting to make sense that the very first step of action is going to be a searching and fearless moral inventory of me because I need access to power quick. Okay? He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it's only there that he may be found. It was so with us. So where and how are we going to find the power? Deep down inside, how are we going to find it? And they promise us that later, in the last analysis, when I'm trying to do it on the fly and I'm doing my 10 step, I'm going to search all around here for somebody to solve my problem or quit causing my emotional upset, and I'll realize in the last analysis it's only there that he may be found. The world straightens out when I take ownership of my emotional nature and discipline my thought life. Yes? Okay. So it's all starting to make sense now. The manner of living is starting to map out. Cool. Then we'll go back to page 45. Look at here. I got a sober motor company sticker. I haven't had one of these in like four years. Jay showed up yesterday and gave me a sticker. Okay. So, so lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live. It had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously, but where and how. Now we know where, now we know how, and now they tell us, well, that's exactly what this book is about. So that's why this meeting's done the way it is, is to show people how to find the experience in the book. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to buy a workbook. It's not a workbook exercise. All you got to do is do what they said. Don't read it. Don't quote it. Just do what they said. Right? You might want to read it with someone so you'll know how to do what they said. Okay, so that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Isn't that good news to find out I no longer have to solve my problem? How many of you have tried to solve your problem with the mind that created it? Nobody here solved their alcohol problem with a little methamphetamine solution or... Okay, so you, you, got the, you got the drift, right? Stone cold sober. How many of you have solved your job problem with joblessness? 
Any of you ever hear a knock in the engine so you turned up the radio? Because <laughs> sometimes the problem that we encounter gets made worse by us trying to solve it ourselves, yes? Okay. All right, so that means we've written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral, and it means, of course, that we're going to talk about God. Here, difficulty arises with agnostics. So the people that don't believe God can be proven to exist, right, if you don't believe in God, what do you care if I say God? So if it bothers you when I say God, you're agnostic, not atheist. <laughs> because you've given God more power than some of the believers. Just saying, just pointing a little. Many times we talk to a new man and watch his hope rise as we discuss his alcoholic problems and explain our fellowship. So these guys were very clear to explain to you the difference between program and fellowship. Prior to this book, the program was, they went and helped people, they went through the steps, they prayed and meditated, eventually they wrote down the instructions of the program in the book, and people started calling the fellowship the program. Same way many churches call the building the church, and the building's not the church, here the church. Okay? So... So we're not the only ones confused, but we are confused. That's why I'm pointing out. Okay. okay. But his face falls when we speak of spiritual matters, especially when we mention God, for we've reopened a subject which our man thought he had neatly evaded or entirely ignored. Do you relate to that thought process? We know how he feels. So they're, they're with you. We get you. I mean, my actions don't demonstrate my intention some percentage of the time, and in active addiction, a high percentage of the time. How many of you desperately wanted to stop could manifest no outward action that showed it? Okay. So we've shared his honest doubt and prejudice, they said. So those of you who are new, we understand no one's buying this thing right straight up front. You gotta buy based on the fact that you see somebody, you feel a certain kind of way in somebody's presence. It's not about what they own or what they possess. It's really about how you feel when you're around them, that you know whose they are and who they are. And, okay? So your job, if you're new, is to share your honest doubt and prejudice. We can't help you if you don't. Because when you ask for a demonstration of the power, we're obligated to give you one. Right? And you will. It won't have anything to do with us. Because you ask, it'll come. Okay? Okay, some of us have been violently anti-religious. How many of you are in that category? So I would ask you to tell me, where did the violence emanate from? You feel it inside you? Sometimes that's a stirring. Um, to others, the word God brought up a particular idea of him, which had, someone had tried to impress them during childhood. How many of you had a bad experience with religious folks, churches? Perhaps we rejected this particular conception because it seemed inadequate. How many of you have done that and gone on a search for other things? So that, that's normal, quite frankly. Everybody that ultimately gets into an enlightened state has been on a quest, typically. With that rejection, we imagined that we had abandoned the God idea entirely. Any of you get to that point? Okay. We were bothered with the thought that faith and dependence upon a power beyond ourselves was somewhat weak, even cowardly. Any of you ever been bothered with that thought? How many of you have admitted you were powerless over methamphetamine, cocaine, alcohol, heroin, 
fentanyl. Okay. So if I'm if I'm afraid that admitting that is weak, then I'm going to have a problem grasping recovery. And once I have admitted that those powers are superior to what I can manifest in my will, then I'd better hope there is a power in me that can outgrow that, right? This isn't a theology. This is just getting to know me better. Right? Okay. So we looked upon this world of warring individuals, warring theological systems, and inexplicable calamity with deep skepticism. Have you looked around the world with everyone fighting and all the things going on and thought, if there's a loving God, why is that going on? We looked askance at many individuals who claim to be godly. Have you seen people do unloving things or appear to do unloving things who claim to be godly? We all have, right? We've all been injured by somebody. We'll apologize to you right now for that. If you've been injured by the church, we're sorry. But this isn't, you're the church, and we're going to help you with that, right? Okay, so how could a supreme being have anything to do with it all? So that's a question. Eyesight without insight is spiritual blindness. All of us have asked some variation of that question. How could a supreme being have anything to do with all this shit show? <laughs> right? And who could comprehend a supreme being anyhow? Any, somebody like have that thought? Certainly not me. I can't comprehend. I go to great lengths to try and comprehend. How many of you have got a pretty good idea and realize it's insufficient? Okay. Yet in other moments we found ourselves thinking when enchanted by a starlit night, who then made all this? How many of you have had an experience in nature that was so awe-inspiring that it almost felt like an out-of-body experience? They said there was a feeling of awe and wonder, but it was fleeting and soon lost. So have you had such an experience? We've got we to gotta get to that because we're trying to comprehend that which can't be comprehended. The whole idea is that we can't comprehend because God is far too large. for our, I, I would be limiting my experience of God by trying to comprehend the totality of God, but I can experience God and grow in that grace experience and that tangible sort of power to do better, power to live experience, yeah? So they're telling us how that was, was happening. How many of you have been in a dangerous situation? Car wreck, gunfight, whatever. Did you notice how time seemed to slow down? When that happened, you experienced your consciousness. One of the things we're going to improve. How many of you have been athletic at some point in your life? You ever make the perfect catch, the perfect dive, the perfect throw, the perfect shot, whatever it was? Do you notice how there was really no thought or effort? You'd practiced, you knew what you were going to do. When you saw it, you did what it was, and you knew it. You saw it all the way through. When that happened, you experienced your intuitive self. Starting to make sense? So we're talking about tangible power experiences that we've had, and I've been confused by calamities, pomps, worships, and so I, I'm confusing what... I think I'm doing, or that experience was something else. Does it make sense? Okay, so it says, yes, we have agnostic temperament have had these thoughts and experiences. So did everyone who cared to have such a thought or experience? Could you bring something to mind? Because we can't go forward with you until you, then we can start talking about those experiences. Okay, 
Let us make haste to reassure you, we found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power which is God. So they're telling you what I just told you. We're trying to comprehend that which can only be experienced. And it's limiting my experience because my mind's limiting my flow. Make sense? Even to the logical mind that makes sense, right? Okay. So much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Why not? Because God's not a conception. Right? What do I care what your conception of God is? I never cared what your conception of liquor was. I got my spiritual experience regardless of your opinion. Why do you think they call it spirits? Why do you think I need a spiritual experience to conquer my spiritual problem? Because I require spirits. Doctors say, Joe, you're dependent. I agree with you. Okay. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and affect the contact with him. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. So they're promising you a sensory experience of this power we call God, right? Possessed of, flowing through me, but not of me. But I seem to be in possession of this new sense of power and direction, provided I took other simple steps. And what are those other simple steps? Well, we're in two. Might want to work through the numerical system. Right? Okay. So we found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. To us, the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It's open, we believe, to all men. Guys, you got to get where, look, we've been looking out side of ourselves all our life for power and we still do it even when we claim to believe we look outside of it. I want situations out there to change so I can be happy. I want something out there to change so I can be at peace. I need for them to stop doing that. That's all a lie. That's not true. What's going on in me is being projected outward and I'm giving power to these circumstances that I've painted with my perspective. And I need a, I need a bigger perspective which I receive from going inward. Does that make sense? So when, therefore, we, sp when we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. This is where people got lost with you. Just pick your own conception. Okay, we're going to start with your conception, but unless you're the kind of person that says, the floor is the limit, we ain't staying down there. We need to start where you're blocked, which is your conception. You learn that God's an experience, not a conception, and then we can improve consciousness of the experience, and my conception widens up. Does it make sense? Okay. So this applies, too, to other spiritual expressions which you find in this book. Do not let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. At the start, this was all we needed to commence spiritual growth, to affect our first conscious relation with God as we understood him. So over the years, people have said, this is a God of my understanding. That's a deception. That's not what they ever say in here. They said, I'm going to improve a conscious relation, an awareness of being aware of this power experience in my life, and my understanding is informed by that, a conscious relation with God as I understood him. I already understand God to be an experience, not a concept, not a theology, 
but a power experience, a sensory power, a tangible power that has redirected my life. I understand that by this point. And I'm not we. So I had to do what they did before I could, by a vision, see to it that your relationship is right. Right? Okay. So it's not a God of your understanding. It's God as they understood him and experienced not a concept. Tangible, sensory. Does it make sense? Okay. That's why everyone to a person came to believe. All right. So afterward, we found ourselves accepting many things which then seemed entirely out of reach. That was growth, but if we wished to grow, we had to begin somewhere, so we used our own conception, however limited it was. And in recovery, we start with, do you believe that alcohol, methamphetamine, heroin, whatever, is a power greater than you? Yes, okay, that's enough. That's where we'll start. And we can go from there. If you, if you believe you're sick, then we'll provide a healer. Fair enough? Okay. So... We needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe, or am I even willing to believe, that there is a power greater than myself? you got to look yourself in the mirror. Do I now believe, or am I even willing to believe? I'm not convinced, but I'm willing to be convinced that there is a power greater than me. And I'm going to give you one question that's not in this book. If you're not, what the fuck are you doing in here? Because if you don't think methamphetamine, heroin, cocaine, alcohol is a power greater than you, then you are wasting valuable high time in here trying to fit in. This ain't a theology, this is a relationship. That shit had me whipped, and I went out to prove it every day. I'm going to get my ass kicked, watch. As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he's on his way. Why are they so emphatic? Because they've done it themselves and they've seen it with hundreds of others. This is the story of how many thousands of men have recovered, right? All right. So it's been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. What cornerstone? That cornerstone of willingness, and that willingness is power. It's divine power. Don't tell people they lack willingness. Introduce them to power. It's true. None of us had willingness. We didn't get here on a winning streak. I didn't come here to show you what was up. I thought I did until someone told me I didn't know. I walked into a meeting, this biker, I'm just pontificating on the complexities of determining God's will. Dude looks at me and he goes, man, uh, you under the impression we were waiting for you to get here? <laughs> but anyway, I digress. So that was great news to us, for we assumed that we could not make use of spiritual principles unless we accepted many things on faith which seemed difficult to believe. How many are in that category? Thought like you had to take the whole cow instead of a glass of milk. You're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sold out. What Bill told you in his story, to Christ I can say, can, conceded the certainty of a great man, not too closely followed by those who claimed it. That's where Bill started, and we're all sitting here because of what Bill did, to some degree, what God did through Bill, right? Okay, so when people presented us with spiritual approaches, how frequently did we all say, I wish I had what that man has, I'm sure it would work if I could only believe as he believes. Have you ever had that experience? Okay, so what we're here to tell you is if you wanted it, if you recognized it, you already had it. What we need to do is wake you up to it. You wouldn't recognize it otherwise. 
Okay? So, but I cannot accept as surely true the many articles of faith which are so plain to him. So it was comforting to learn that we could commence at a simpler level. Besides a seeming inability to accept much on faith, we often found ourselves handicapped by obstinacy, sensitiveness, and unreasoning prejudice. How many of you have found yourself handicapped by those things? I came into a fellowship a long time ago. They would say, I'm sensitive because I'm alcoholic. Any of you been here long enough for you to hear that? We're not sensitive because we're alcoholic, but because we are alcoholic, if we are, our sensitivity's killing us, which is why I would want to improve consciousness of a power to live so that I can quit being so offended by what's going on in the world. Does it make sense? Okay, many of us have been so touchy that even a casual reference to spiritual things made us bristle with antagonism. How many of you just couldn't receive any information because your prejudice was so... How many of you got more reasonable when you came back from a run? They tell us in here, you might want to wait till he comes back from a run because he's often more reasonable. I certainly was. Can I have a drink of water? <laughs> um, this sort of thinking had to be abandoned. Though some of us resisted, we found no great difficulty in casting aside such feelings. Faced with alcoholic destruction, we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we'd tried to be on other questions. In this respect, alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. We hope no one else will be prejudiced for, long as, for as long as some of us were. The reader may still ask why he should believe in a power greater than himself. So are you there now? What you say makes sense, what they say makes sense, but why do I need it? I'm doing fine. I've been radically changed. I'm talking now to my religious friends, not my recovery friends who don't want anyone to be religious, but my religious friends that are still feeling a lack of zeal in their life, not feeling the purpose for which they were created. But I was radically changed. I don't pick up no matter what. I've never been so goddamn happy. <laughs> so if that's you, I'm talking to you. And if you never met him, you are him. Just know that. Because we all that guy do sometimes. Okay. So let's have a, there, we think there are good reasons. Let's have a look at them. The practical individual today is a stickler for facts and results. Show me, don't tell me. Yep. They're laying out the case. You've got to understand this guy was a stock analyst. So what he did is he traveled around the country, he investigated companies, then he came back and sold investments based on the case he laid out for why that was a sound investment. And so he wants you to buy in. It's more logical to believe in God than not to believe based on our experience. Let me lay out the case for you. That's why we don't change the book and make people write in scripts and all that bullshit because the guy laid out the perfect case, why it's more logical to believe than not to believe, coming from a guy who declared himself an atheist. Okay. Nevertheless, the 20th century readily accepts theories of all kinds, provided they're firmly grounded in fact. We have numerous theories, for example, about electricity. Everybody believes them without a murmur of doubt. Why this ready acceptance? Eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. Why do I believe in electrical theory, which I don't fully comprehend, right? I may know something about it, but I don't fully comprehend it, because scientists don't fully comprehend it. They know basically how it works, right? Kind of what we, we know about this power we call God, right? So why this ready, except why will I believe this 
electrical theory that I don't fully comprehend because we've experienced its effects, right? If I turn on the lights, they come on. If I put my finger in a socket, I get <laughs> I've experienced the effects. They're laying out the case. We don't expect you to believe in what we call God without experiences effects. And we're going to introduce you to the effects of God in you. And they go to great lengths to get you to see. We are already believing. You're already acting in faith in all kinds of things. There's a thermostat on the wall. How many of you, if you were warm, would know to go back there, set the thermostat, and then go sit down? Don't sit and stare at it. <laughs> it's an act of faith. Turn it on and come back. You might sit and stare at it if you're on enough meth, right? <laughs> Simply because it's impossible to explain what we see, feel, direct, and use without a reasonable assumption as a starting point. So the reasonable assumption as a starting point, why so many of us that are atheists or agnostic or think we are, is we're looking out there because people have said he's up there, he's over there. No, he's in me. And he's in you. And they don't, you just, you're unaware which is why we want to improve consciousness, the awareness of being aware. Okay? Okay, so everybody nowadays be believes in scores of assumptions for which there's good evidence but no perfect visual proof, and does not science demonstrate that visual proof is the weakest proof? It's being constantly revealed as mankind studies the material world that outward appearances are not inward reality at all. To illustrate, the prosaic steel girder is a mass of electrons whirling around each other at incredible speed. These tiny bodies are governed by precise laws, and these laws hold true throughout the material world. Science tells us so. Do you agree with that? So there's all these electrons whirling around at incredible speed. They're talking about a not unimaginative a girder in a building. But if I looked up and saw a light body rather than a structure, it might give me pause. And what I like to point out to people when you're sitting, we're part of that material world too, right? So if that's true, then you at the cellular level are also a mass of tiny electrons whirling around at incredible speed. But you've given that mass of electrons a personality and a persona, yes? You've given it a reality, right? So we also have the power to create, that's why I'm, anyway. Um, when, however, the perfect, perfectly logical assumption is suggested that underneath the material world and life as we see it, there is an all-powerful guiding creative intelligence, right there our perverse streak comes to the surface and we laboriously set out to convince ourselves it isn't so. Any of you get caught up in some doctrine or some dogma and then just threw the whole thing away because of an experience? Any of you have a religious experience or a recovery experience? How many of you came to a recovery room and found that people weren't as loving as you were told they would be. <laughs> we read wordy books and indulge in windy arguments thinking we believe this universe needs no God to explain it. Were our contentions true, it would follow that life originated out of nothing, means nothing, and proceeds nowhere. I've talked to, I don't know how many, lots and lots of people, they're bothered by that description, but how many of you, when you read that, would have to admit your life in active addiction looked like that's what you believed? Any of you ever just been in a deplorable state? Yeah, okay. So instead of regarding ourselves as intelligent agents, 
spearheads of God's ever-advancing creation. We agnostics and atheists chose to believe that our human intelligence was the last word, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and end of all, rather vain of us, wasn't it? We gotta go back now. I've got an opportunity to, instead of thinking life goes nowhere, means nothing, is nothing, or I can believe that I am this spearhead, the driving force of this animating creative power. I'm the hands and feet in this realm of this animating creative power that we call God. That's what I, I can believe. And then they question me that I'm the Alpha and the Omega instead of this power from a biblical reference. So we got to, because they said it rather vain of us, we've got to consider that because half of us are atheists or agnostics, the other half are religious, and we got to see if that's true. So Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. How many of you had help in the decision for you to enter this realm as a human? I would, should see every hand, right? Unless you consulted your parents on whatever happened. <laughs> the likelihood is you had help in your arrival. So Alpha's out. Now, how many of you in your addiction met many people who did not survive their addiction? How many of you in your incarceration history met many people who did not survive? All our life we met different, right? How many of you thought, why, why did I survive? Why am I still here? How many of you wished for the end? So apparently we don't know a whole lot about the end. So I don't know the beginning, I don't know the end. How many of you lost a decade or two in your addiction experience? Don't know the beginning, don't know the end, don't know much about the fucking middle. <laughs> Clearly, it's vain of me to think I'm all it, right? Okay. So now I can agree with them. It is rather vain of me, right? Okay, so we who have traveled this dubious path beg you to lay aside prejudice even against organized religion. So we know they're flawed. We know recovery people are flawed. Lay it aside. Make sense? Okay. We've learned that whatever the human frailties of the various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. Notice how they didn't say those churches or those religions or those recovery fellowships. They said those faiths. It is your faith activated that gives you purpose. Right? People of faith have a logical idea what life is all about. Why? Because I believe that everything that happens to me is really happening for somebody and it's created for a good in the future. I'm being prepared for a coming moment. That's the only reason it's happening to me. And then things don't happen to me. They happen for you. And it doesn't feel so personal. How many of you have learned that? I've been through my steps. Well, you must have missed something there, Chip. <laughs> Let's have another look at it. Why am I going through this again? Well, so that you can show somebody that sometimes we've got to go through something again. Sometimes we should. How many of you have been doing the steps a while and you realize that it's not their spiritual experience you seek when you go on a 12-step call? It's mine. Doesn't matter how many people I touch. I'm only, I'm only responsible for one recovery. I ain't got nothing to do with that. He did it. Okay. Actually, we used to have no reasonable conception, whatever. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices 
when we might have observed that many spiritually minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness which we should have sought ourselves. Instead, we looked at the human defects of these people and sometimes used their shortcomings as a basis of whole stealth condemnation. So they're talking about maybe my experience of just throwing it all away because it didn't work for me. Right? How many of you had a real confusing recovery experience and didn't know there really were steps and there really were instructions? Any of you had that? I came into a fellowship, they told me, just meeting makers make it. I said, man, I'm feeling uncomfortable. They said, oh, you should make coffee because coffee makers make it. <laughs> Some of y'all had that experience, right? Then I didn't make the meeting. I stole a fucking coffee pot. <laughs> then some asshole finally showed me the steps. I had to go make a man <laughs> for the seventh tradition and the coffee pot. Because I get it all when I go. Some of you relate to me. Okay. So we talked of intolerance when we were intolerant ourselves. We missed the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. We never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. In our personal stories, you'll find a wide variation in the way each teller approaches and conceives of the power which is greater than himself. So everybody has a different experience of the power. That's really of no consequence. Once you have encountered the power, if I and you are talking about the power, the power will show up because the power has a signature. Okay. Um, whether we agree with this particular approach or conception seems to make little difference. Experience has taught us that, that these are matters about which for our purpose we need not be worried. So we'll, in, it, we'll encounter you with the power and then the power becomes the teacher, right? Right? We're sit down together, teacher and student are one and the experience really is the teacher, yeah? Okay. There are, the, there are questions for each individual to settle for himself. On one proposition, however, these men and women are strikingly agreed. Every one of them has gained access to and believes in a power greater than himself. Every one. See, we, we, we talk to people who go, well, it's okay, you can stay atheist or agnostic. Of course you can, but you will die in your addiction if you've got an affliction like mine. And you'll be miserable until it happens. So why would I leave you there lying to you because it's uncomfortable for me to tell you the truth when you ask me? Doesn't make any sense, does it? Gained access to and believes in. Notice how that came first. Okay. This power has, in each case, accomplished the miraculous, the humanly impossible. As a celebrated American statesman put it, let's look at the record. Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed, doctors, lawyers, clergy, business leaders, worldly people, learned people, half of them atheists or agnostics, the other half religious people, a little squishy on their beliefs. All of them flatly declare that since they've come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. How many of you could use a revolution in your way of living and thinking on the regular? Okay. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. See how they're not talking conceptually. How many of you can remember hitting that pipe? 
power, peace, happiness, sense of direction. So they're not suggesting that dependent people not be dependent. They said shift your dependency based on our experience. All right? We're not asking you to be abstinence. Abstinence sucks. Be spiritually inebriated. The more you work with others, the more flow you will experience, and you will experience ease and comfort in the world without going out in the world to get it. That's what they learned. Okay? So, this happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. What requirements? Well, I'm in two. <laughs> I'm going to need to make a decision. It's going to have to be better than most of my other decisions. How many of you have made a decision and then still stuck? Any of you ever had that problem? Say the prayer. I said that fucking prayer. <laughs> but you're hot. You must not have turned it over. I thought I turned it over. How do you turn it over? Well, I say the prayer. Huh. Why am I saying the prayer? In a power I don't believe in. I've encountered the power, and I'm asking that power to help me go find out who I am and whose I am. Go inside, find out what calamities, pomps, and worships are obscuring my consciousness of who I really am and whose I really am, and then go out and tell others. Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, they show why the underlying reasons why they're making heavy going of life. Leaving aside the drink question, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. So we're going to get away from, how many of you used and drank and then you stopped because you thought you had a drug or alcohol problem and you had some period of abstinence and then you started again? So there was a little deeper problem or that wouldn't happen, correct? Okay, so they show how the change came over them when many hundreds of people are able to say that the consciousness of the presence of God is today the most important fact of their lives. They present a powerful reason why one should have faith. We don't spend the time at recovery podiums declaring the power of God. These guys, the half, the whole bunch of them, to a person, flatly declare that since I came to believe in a power greater than myself to take a certain attitude toward that power, that power is my source of inspiration, it is my power, my peace, my happiness, my sense of direction, that power I'm dependent on, just as I was the dope. And my requirement is to serve others instead of just serve me. And as I do that, I get a flow of the Spirit. And that's why I have consciousness of presence. Why did Bill describe Ebby so weird when he came in the door? He stood there, fresh-skinned and glowing. Because it's fucking weird, dude. It's like, wow, this is different. What's up? Where'd you get that shit you on now? Okay. So I'm going to jump over to... I'm going to jump over to another story because I'm going to run out of time. I'm going to go to page 56 of the book. They're going to talk about uh, Fitz, who was one of the early AAs. He was a, a, a minister's son. He was whatever, but one of the early ones they talked to. Um, and he's going to talk about his story and his experience, and then we'll be done. So our, our friend, top of 56, our friend was a minister's son. 
He attended church school where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. Any of you get raised in that way where you thought you got an overdose of religious education? Okay. For years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble and frustration, business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide. These calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. So he didn't get a good start at life. Many of us didn't get a good start. There was all insanity and all these things around us, and it just felt like the world was picking on us. Yeah? Those are the calamities, pomps, and worships he's starting to identify. Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending medical, mental and physical collapse brought him to a point of self-destruction. So he was drinking himself to death, but that wasn't quick enough, and he was starting to think about just ending it. Any of you get to that point? All of us, if we're honest, probably had those thoughts at some point. So one night when confined in a hospital, he was approached by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. They always qualify that when they meet an alcoholic, they have known a spiritual experience. Otherwise, they're just a hard drinker or a freak. They don't talk about, about a, when they define alcohol, an alcoholic, when I became alcoholic, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, I could not postpone or evade. I had to fearlessly face the proposition that God's everything or he's nothing. So I'm not an alcoholic in any meaningful way until I'm standing here before you boldly declaring the power of God why I'm here, right? So religious people say, I don't want to say that. Well, it's not a present condition. It's no different than Levi becomes Matthew and he says, I'm an apostle of Christ and a tax collector. Because you can show the miracle of redemption. We do the same thing when we witness as an alcoholic or a drug addict. Right? Because a drug addict doesn't belong here. He belongs just down the street. I can show you if you don't believe me. <laughs> so our friend's gorgeous. He rose as he bitterly, when confined in a hospital, I'm sorry, spiritual experience, our friend's gorge rose when he bitterly cried out, if there is a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. So he's talking to the guy who approached. This is the importance of being honest with him. This guy lashed out at the guy who came to say, God sent me to you. Get out of here, I don't know where I'm out religion, you do. You ever got that lecture? But later, alone in his room, see, what we don't know is we just deliver the power and then it convicts him later. That, we're, just, we're messengers, man. Deliver, well, Paul used to say, you're the mailman. Just deliver that son of a bitch and go. Don't stay and see if they're happy with what they read. <laughs> but later, alone in his room, he asked himself this question. Is it possible that all the religious people I've known are wrong? And he's like, wow, I, you know, I had respect for my family members, yeah, and there was all this stuff, but starting to go down that thought. While pondering the answer, he felt as though he lived in hell. How many of you have had that experience, where you, all of a sudden you just started to have conviction happening within you? Then, like a thunderbolt, a great thought came. It crowded out all else. Who are you to say there is no God? Now, that may mean nothing to you if you're don't really have any church background, but if you have a distinct church background and that thought comes and crowds out all else, that's going to be disturbing. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Where's my religious people? You ever get really shouted at in the head? It happens, right? So what would you do when that happened? He's going to tell us what he did. This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. 
So he knew what that was from his upbringing. So he didn't have to question what it was. Okay? It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide at flood. The barriers he had built through years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. He was struck when he questioned, he got the answer, and when he submitted, he was overwhelmed by the presence. And when that happened, his eyes opened, his mind opened, and all of a sudden he could see the, the blind see, the lame walk, the captives are set free. That's what the promise is, yeah? Okay. Thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. No later vicissitude has shaken it. That wouldn't mean anything because most of us can't even say vicissitude, much less figure out what. But what they're talking about is this cat went to World War I, had that profound experience of coming back, trying to drink himself to death, this overwhelming experience, then went back to the Second World War. And other than he had a cancer diagnosis, he remained sober through all of that. Another war and a cancer diagnosis. No other vicissitude, no, no other disturbance in his being shook his conviction of presence. It's a pretty powerful story, right? His alcoholic problem was taken away that very night. Years ago, it disappeared. Save for a few brief moments of temptation, the thought of a drink has never returned. And at such times, a great revulsion has come up in him. Seemingly, he could not drink, even if he would. God has restored his sanity. If you do to 11 step, they'll tell you exactly of that experience, and it's because it's not a theory, it's this man's experience and many others. And that's step two. Next week, we'll look at step three. Thanks very much.